Hey, GCC family, hope you guys are doing well today. Thank you so much for joining us here online. Hey, just a reminder, if we haven't been able to see you in a while, we miss you and we love you, but we totally understand. And uh, we just wanna let you know that we are available. We're, we're here to serve. So feel free to reach out to us either through the, the phone or email or anything like that. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know how we can be here and, uh, and, and serve you. Um, you can find all of our contact information on our website at gcclw.org. With that being said, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are a good, glorious, wonderful God. We love you. Lord, I pray for more of your kingdom come and more of your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would make us more the people that you desire for us to be. Lord, that we would be more that we would more closely resemble Christ every day. That we would do the things he does and love the way he loves. That we would see people the way he sees people and encounter people the way he encounters people. We love you and we praise your name. Amen. So today we're going to be continuing in our series in the Gospel of Luke with Luke chapter 19. How crazy is that? We're already on Luke chapter 19. If you wouldn't mind flipping with me in your Bibles, we're going to begin with the scripture right away. Luke chapter 19. I'll throw it up on, uh, up on here for you. So hopefully uh, that'll be available as well. But here's what it says. Luke chapter 19 beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see, to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! Come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, I can honestly say that this is one of my absolute favorite stories in all of Scripture. For so many reasons, one of them being that it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. If you grew up in Sunday school like I did, then you grew up knowing all about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. We teach this story to children, and I am so thankful that we do. Because in these 10 short verses, we learn about some of the most important crucial realities of the message of Jesus, of the gospel, anywhere in scripture. It's kind of funny, actually, <laughs> when you think of the stories that we teach to children, there are so many of them that are like 
really rated R. Violent, bloody, gushy, head cut offy, genocide y. Like, we, we tell a lot of crazy stories to children. And I think sometimes maybe we leave out a few details, but there's no reason to do that here in the story of Zacchaeus. As you can see, the story begins with Jesus entering Jericho on his way to Jerusalem and ultimately on his way to the cross. Uh, we're entering the final week of Jesus's ministry here. Uh, well, the final, like, I don't know, two weeks, 10 days, that kind of thing of Jesus's ministry ministry before he dies on the cross and uh he enters jericho i think it's only 14 miles or so to get to jerusalem as you can see just a little while later in this exact same chapter luke 19 we see that the story of the triumphal entry jesus moving into jerusalem ushering in the passion week that culminates with his death burial and glorious resurrection at this point, uh, th this is the very same Jericho, if it's ringing bells in your ears, it's the very same Jericho that we read about all the way back in the book of Joshua. The, the Jericho, they marched around a bunch of times for seven days, and then they blew trumpets and the walls came crumbling down. That, that happened more than a thousand years before Jesus shows up on the scene. And in those thousand years, to be more specific, it's 1,200 to 1,400 years, depending on how you date the Exodus. Anyway, nerdy moment. <laughs> uh, in, in that more than 1,000 years, the city of Jericho has regained its strength and it's become this powerhouse of trade, east and west trade in that region. It, in fact, King Herod famously had this massive, elaborate winter palace in Jericho. All that to say, there was some major wealth going on in Jericho. The next thing that Luke introduces us to in this story is the main character, a man by the name of Zacchaeus. The first thing that Luke tells us about Zacchaeus was that he is a, t a chief tax collector. This is a detail that's noteworthy to us and obviously noteworthy to Luke. It means that he's really wealthy, like really wealthy. In the time of Jesus, people like Zacchaeus would contract with the Roman government to collect taxes on their behalf in a certain geographic area. What that meant is that the Romans would require a certain amount of taxes from these taxing people, and then the way that they would get paid is they would charge an additional tax, and that's what they would live on. Jericho is this major trade place, meaning it's wealthy, Zacchaeus taxed these wealthy people in Jericho, so Zacchaeus was wealthy. Luke goes on to tell us, as, as the story continues, that as Jesus was passing by, Zacchaeus wanted to see who he was. Of, of course, uh, Zacchaeus famously... Um, can't see around the crowd so he climbs up into a sycamore tree a sycamore fig tree and 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 he waits there and Jesus walks in front of him and famously says even it's even in that song Zacchaeus come down immediately I must stay at your house today this is a crucial detail look at how Jesus acts here he doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to call out to him. Instead, he calls out to Zacchaeus. He stops. 
he takes the time to see Zacchaeus and he calls out to him rather than waiting for Zacchaeus to call out to Jesus. And then he eventually says, hey, let's spend some time together. Zacchaeus was probably an invisible man. And this is probably the case for multiple reasons. The first, of course, is his stature. He's not exactly a tall guy. It'd probably be pretty easy to look over him. I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, sometimes I accidentally trip over children. <laughs> so, like, it, just his physical presence would have been, uh, would have made him invisible. But on top of that, of course, we've talked long and long and long about tax collectors, but tax collectors were these despised, hated, rejected people. Nobody liked them. So his job would have rendered him also invisible. Just look at what happens in verse 7. The people muttered about Jesus being the guest of a sinner. Those same muttering people would not have invited Zacchaeus over to their house. They would not have gone into Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was forgotten. He was lonely. He was, he was, I don't know. I think that people probably saw him as a pointless waste of space. Jesus, of course, does not see Zacchaeus that way. Rather, Jesus becomes the friend of tax collectors and sinners. He, he lives into those words in the gospel about him. Jesus' Jesus's actions are exactly the opposite of this muttering crowd. It's interesting to take note of the fact that there was a crowd there that day. Jesus could have chosen to engage with any of the people standing around. But instead, he chose to engage with the chief tax collector. This phrase, chief tax collector, doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. Tax collector does, but putting the word chief in front of it doesn't exist anywhere else in the New Testament. And it makes me wonder, is Luke trying to help us to see that what Jesus really chose to do that day was to spend time with the chief sinner? I don't know. Kind of an interesting thought. But could you imagine being Zacchaeus that day? You have this desire to see Jesus, to see who he is, just to watch him as he walks by. The crowd, of course, makes it impossible. Maybe it's because they don't like you. Maybe it's because you're just too short. Maybe it's some mixture of the two. But any way you slice it, you know that you got to find another way. You look around. You see the direction Jesus is headed. You see there's a tree right next to there. You climb the tree. And then you wait. Some time passes. And Jesus gets to that spot. The only thing that you're expecting to do is see Jesus. Just watch him as he walks by. You might even think to yourself, well, he's probably going to go preach somewhere or, or feed some people or heal some people or, or, you know, do the things that he's been doing this whole entire time. But instead, as Jesus walks by, he stops. You fully expect him to keep walking, but he stops. He, he pauses. He looks up. He sees you in the tree. It's surprising. You just wanted to see him, but now he is seeing 
you. Could you imagine what that would feel like? To go from invisible, unseen, worthless, despised, to being seen and loved and cared for and befriended by Jesus himself. What a change. What a, what a glorious moment. Of course, some of us don't have to imagine what that's like. We know exactly what that feels like to go from unseen, uncared for, unloved to passionately loved by Jesus himself. Zacchaeus's response to Jesus's invitation is rapid. Zacchaeus quickly climbs down from the tree and in a huge amount of hospi hospitality, he receives Jesus with gladness. The response from those who witness this, just as I've already said, is muttering. Isn't that heartbreaking? So many people who simply believe that Zacchaeus is a lost cause, they miss the example of Jesus because of their own biases and hatred. I fear that there are far too many people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be followers of Jesus, but act just like this muttering crowd. People who say, I follow Jesus, the king of the universe. He saved me from sin and death, but he can't save that person. That person is just too far gone. We look at people who are different from us, who believe different things than us, and instead of seeing them as Jesus does, as a mission field, as, as people desperately in need of the message that we have, as people desperately in need of experiencing the love of Christ, instead of seeing them that way, we see them as unredeemable people. With one half of our mouth, we say God is glorious, he can save, and he's righteous and mighty, and with the other half of our mouth, we curse people made in the likeness of God. It's utter foolishness. When we choose to view people the way the crowd viewed Zacchaeus instead of the way that Jesus viewed Zacchaeus, we make a mockery of the gospel and a mockery of our king. This kind of thing, this kind of viewing people through this unredeemable lens, through this they are my enemy lens, leads to all kinds of horrible things. Make no mistake, this path leads to judgment and division. It happens. It happens all the time among Christians across denominational spectrums, around the world, across our nation. It happens all the time, and it's completely heartbreaking, and it's happening right now. And it's happening right now with multiple issues. Take, for example, the mask mandates that are happening in many places around the nation. Look what happens when people choose to see others the way the crowd saw Zacchaeus instead of the way that Jesus saw Zacchaeus. When we look at the people on the other side of the debate in the way that the crowd saw Zacchaeus, what we end up with is 
it, it, we end up viewing them exclusively as our enemies, people who should be undermined, people who, who just don't see it my way, people who, who, who deserve my wrath or the wrath of the government or this or that or the other thing. And it doesn't matter which side of the debate you're on because both sides are saying the same things about each other. But when we choose to see the people on the other side of the debate in the same way that Jesus saw Zacchaeus that day, we exercise compassion and empathy. We strive to walk a mile in their shoes before we make a judgment about their character, about who they are as a human being. When we choose to see people the way that Jesus saw them, or the way that Jesus sees them, our hearts are softened, I believe. We have more patience. We have more compassion. We have more of a willingness to see it from the other person's perspective. We gotta put on Jesus's eyes. We gotta see people as he sees them. I don't think any of us are foolish enough to think that Jesus was just okay with Zacchaeus defrauding people of their money. I don't think any of us are foolish enough to think that Jesus was just okay with Zacchaeus leaning into his greed. Of course he wasn't okay with that, but it didn't prevent him from engaging with and caring for and ultimately loving Zacchaeus. The fruit of these two ways of viewing other people is evident. We view people the way the crowd viewed Zacchaeus. Division, strife, quarreling, sin. If we view people the way that Jesus viewed Zacchaeus, compassion, empathy, patience, and unity. We gotta see people with Jesus' eyes. James makes it clear in his writings Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let people, let us be people who see with the eyes of King Jesus, not with the eyes of the murmuring crowd. People always, always, always are more important to our King. But let's get back to the story. The people have just been murmuring because Jesus decided to go be Zacchaeus' guest. Then the story kind of shifts. <laughs> It's, it seems kind of sudden. I, I expect that it's not actually literally sudden. But in response to Jesus' presence with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus makes this crazy commitment. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus' response to closeness to Jesus is transformation. There is immediate evidence that Zacchaeus's heart has changed. His encounter with Jesus has moved him to take the one thing that he's given everything in his life for, money, and say he wants Jesus even more than that. Take, take note of this. 
Zacchaeus is a tax collector. That, that means that he's chosen to turn his back on his nation, on his people, on his culture. He's chosen to, to be a, a worker for the, the, the people who, who rule ancient Jerusalem or, or ancient Judea and Samaria, you know, like the, the area. He, he's chosen to be a worker for them. He's chosen to be this lowly, despised, lonely person all for the sake of money. And in this moment, he says, I'm going to give it all away because I just want Jesus more. That, that is epic transformation. I find it really interesting to look at this story compared to the story that we talked about last week, the story of the rich young ruler. Just as a refresher really quick, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, do all these commandments. The rich young ruler says, I've done all those things since my youth. Then Jesus says, still one thing I have for you to do, sell everything that you have, give your money away to the poor and come and follow me. Of course, we know the end of the story, the rich young ruler walks away sad because he had much wealth. And in essence, the lesson is simply this. For that man, money was way more important than Jesus was. Meanwhile, we see that compared to the story of Zacchaeus. I don't think it was any accident by Luke that he decided to put this story so close to the story of the rich young ruler. I think that Luke wanted us to see how these two men uh, ch chose between Jesus and money. Of course, the rich young ruler chooses his money and Zacchaeus chooses Jesus. The rich young ruler walks away sad and Zacchaeus is full of joy. I think it's noteworthy that the one who found joy is the one who chose Jesus. As the story concludes, Jesus's response to Zacchaeus to Zacchaeus's commitment is very interesting. He says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why did Jesus choose to call Zacchaeus a son of Abraham? I think that the assumption is that he is a son of Abraham. He's Jewish. He, he's literally, by his blood, a son of Abraham. So why did Jesus feel the need to highlight this detail? I think it's because Jesus is simply saying, I know all of you guys think that this guy's a traitor. I, think, I know all of you guys think this guy, hey, he doesn't belong to God's people anymore. He's irredeemable. He has somehow escaped the loving hands of God. But I'm telling you, that's not true. This man has not escaped the loving hands of God. He is part of God's chosen covenant people. Then we arrive at the final verse, verse 10. One commentator that I read suggested that verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, summarizes basically all of Luke's gospel. There's this theme that runs through the entirety of, of Luke's gospel, and that's why we call this series, this series Luke, the Great Reversal. This common thread that runs through the whole book is the reversal that the kingdom of God brings, the, the reversal that the kingdom of God brings, this, this idea that, that no one 
could be uh, this idea that uh, those no one thought could be saved are welcomed into Jesus's kingdom and so many other reversals as well. As you can see, the story of Zacchaeus has a lot, a lot to offer us as modern Christians. But just like I mentioned at the very beginning of this sermon, I think my favorite teaching from this emerges in just how perfectly this story teaches us about some of the most crucial aspects of the gospel, the message of Jesus. So the first parallel we see to the gospel happens in verse 5. Jesus approaches Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus could not approach Jesus. We're all familiar with this moment in Christianity, this, this first crucial step of the gospel. Jesus coming to us because we cannot possibly go to him. If you're curious about what sets Christianity apart from other world's religions, this is it. Look no further. The fact that God comes to us, the person of Jesus. Jesus literally, literally makes all the difference. The second crucial parallel that we see between the story of Zacchaeus and the gospel is what comes in verse 8. As Zacchaeus declares, he will be giving half of his wealth away to the poor and returning fourfold anything that he's defrauded from people. This part of the gospel is the part that I feel gets overlooked a lot. The fact that when someone encounters Jesus, their life is transformed. Some say we overlook it because pastors don't want to teach hard things. Obviously, you guys know that I don't have that problem. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that was a dumb joke. Anyway, the reality of the gospel is that this is, that, that, that transformation is, is, a, is a expected result of encountering Jesus. The fact that we see so many people out there who are claiming to be followers of Jesus, claiming to be Christians, but living lives that are so utterly counter to his teachings is completely ridiculous. Scripture makes it clear time and time and time again, those who encounter the living God are changed. Their lives are changed. They are going in one direction and then they flip and they go in a different direction. Many of them go from avidly going in one direction to avidly going towards Jesus. One encounter with the living God changes everything for so many characters throughout the scriptures. Look at Moses, for instance. Moses is this murdering shepherd in exile from Egypt, just walking around for 40 years caring about sheep and goats. And then this burning bush moment happens and Moses encounters God and his life goes and he goes from this shepherd in exile to being this man who leads the people of God out of Egypt and then leads them for four decades through the wilderness into the promised land. Look at Paul in the New Testament. He's traveling along this road. There's a bright light and, 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 he's he and, and, and a voice from heaven. He's persecuting Christians. In this moment, he encounters Jesus. Everything changes. He goes from persecutor of Christians to, to a man who, who is proclaiming the very Christ that he was intending to destroy. 
That's extraordinary. <laughs> That's a complete and utter transformation. And, and, and that all happened because he encountered Jesus along the way. Look at Mary Magdalene. Her life completely transformed. She encounters Jesus. Her, 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 she has seven demons cast out of her. And then her life totally flips. And she becomes this major player in probably one of the most important stories in the entire gospel. Which is, of course, the resurrection. It happens over and over and over again. And it doesn't stop after Jesus ascends into heaven. In the book of Acts, we, we see person after person after person encountering Jesus through one of his messengers, through the Holy Spirit, and having lives that totally and completely change. Look at the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He has a conversation with one of the followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is clearly at work. This man gets baptized becomes a follower of Jesus and then carries the message of Jesus to Ethiopia more than 2,000 years ago. The transformation that we see in Zacchaeus, and this is the key to it all in my opinion, the transformation that we see in Zacchaeus, even in this short time, as a result of him encountering the living Jesus, is not an uncommon thing. And it should not be an uncommon thing. This is not the outlier situation. This is supposed to be the common thing. This is supposed to be the rule. Lives that have truly gotten up close to Jesus are changed. This is such an important part of the gospel. You are saved by grace, by the work of Jesus, but the outflow of your salvation and encounter with the living Jesus should be a changed life. Not a perfect life, but a changed life all the same. So, if that's all true, if, 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 if this is not supposed to be the outlier, if this is supposed to be the rule, if it's not so supposed to be uncommon for, for, for people to encounter Jesus and have a changed life, why in the world is it so uncommon? Why in the world do we hear about, well, like we, we put people with these kinds of testimonies in front of churches and say, isn't that amazing? It shouldn't be amazing. It should be normal. It should be average. It should be like, yeah, well, of course, like we can celebrate that and praise the Lord that he did that. But that's what he's done for all of us. That should be what we're talking about. But, but why are we not seeing that over and over? And, oh, why? Why is this happening? For the answer, I don't think we have to look even beyond Zacchaeus' story. What transformed him was an encounter with Jesus. What transformed Paul and Mary and so many others is an encounter with Jesus. The reason that we don't see transformed lives like we should be is because people see because people don't seem to be encountering Jesus. When they decide to follow, they might, it seems that they're choosing fire insurance or the get out of hell free card or, or they're just doing it because they want to marry some Christian or, I mean, there's so many possible reasons as you guys probably know. But for some reason, dramatic, weirdly, or, or it's a tradition in their family, but for some reason, weirdly, dramatically few Christians have these stories of transformation. 
I think it's because people are just not encountering Jesus. Simply put, there are a lot of people out there claiming to be followers of Jesus who have never really met him. It's completely heartbreaking. You want to know why so many people from my generation and the generation younger than mine are leaving the church? It's because so many of us have never met Jesus. And tradition is not enough to keep us here. It's easy to ditch a Christianity, a version of Christianity that's all about the rules and totally forgets about the living Jesus. That's easy. That's a, that's a religion that looks like any other religion. I, it's easy to leave that behind. You know what's hard to ditch? It's hard to ditch the living Jesus. It's hard to leave him behind. So, I think the only question we have left to, to, to answer is how do we encounter the living Jesus? And I know that for most of us, that that's something that we hear all the time. Choose to spend time with him. That's how you encounter the living Jesus. You make him a priority and you just do it. You, you choose to spend time with him through his word, through prayer, through worship, through obedience to his commands. You choose Jesus over the video games, over the TV, over the work, over the this and over the that. You choose Jesus. It's weird to me that so many of us confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this, this person who literally changed everything for us, but we can't even give us we can't even give him five minutes a day. That's strange to me. That doesn't make any sense. Why is that happening? Why does Jesus get put on the bottom of the priority list? It's not even Christianese anymore. It like it just it doesn't make any sense why we wouldn't choose to make Jesus a priority. People come with so many excuses. Nathan, I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't know what to do. I don't know this. Make it happen. Choose Jesus. If you don't have the time, you're doing too much. <laughs> Don't do something else and choose Jesus. If you don't have the energy, push a little harder. Make spending time with Jesus a priority. And it's not just the right thing to do. We don't do this because it's the right thing. This is what Christians ought to be doing. We do this because it's impossible to follow Jesus if you don't even know who he is. It's strange. Look at it this way. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm saying that I'm following in Jesus' footsteps. I'm, I'm a little Christ. How in the world are we supposed to know what his footsteps look like, know where to walk, if we basically have never met the man? How are we supposed to follow him if our hearts are not trained by him? to love and listen and care like his heart does? How are we supposed to be like Christ 
if we don't even know him, it makes no sense at all. Let it not be true of us any longer. My invitation is simple. If you're not making time for Jesus, it's time to make time for Jesus. We gotta, we gotta, it's, he's, he is the priority. And I guarantee you 100%, you will not regret it. I've never been, you hear me say this all the time, but I have never been more satisfied than I am when I have all of the living Jesus that I can possibly have. I know that's really blunt, but I think that bluntness is what's needed. We must make Jesus a priority. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. You're good. We praise you. You're awesome. Please remind us throughout the week to make you a priority. You're our number one priority. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Love you guys. Hope you have a great day. God bless.